0: (laughs) it's good to be together again. I thought we just had a great Easter last week. I was so uh, excited for just all the different uh, testimonies from the different people who were baptized and what a great, I thought God was glorified in our presence last week in a very special way. And so I want to invite you this morning once again to um, turn to 1 Peter as we continue our study there. And uh, I want to suggest to you that the first part of 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we saw that when a person comes to God, when a person turns to God with their heart, uh, that God provides for us a great salvation. And the Bible says that even the angels in heaven long to look down and understand this salvation that comes to us. I mean, it's so unique in all the world and all the universe, that the angels themselves long, Peter says in uh, the first part of uh, chapter 1. The angels long to understand and to look into this new birth that God has given us into a living hope. A living hope. And uh, so, God, when, when we are reconciled to Him, God becomes this Father to us who loves us. And we just sang this song about starting out fatherless and how uh, when God comes to us, we, we, we get this new Father. And I want to suggest to you this morning that, uh, that God, as our Father, it's like he serves us a three-course meal. I'm not talk about our salvation in terms of a three-course meal. First, there's the appetizer, right? And it's fabulous. I mean, the appetizer's just fabulous. And then there's the entree, and the entree is packed with all the things that are good for us, all the things that'll nurture us and strengthen us and give us energy and so forth. And then there's the dessert, and the dessert is out of this world. This salvation that God has promised us is something like a a three-course meal. So first comes the appetizer, I think what the Bible calls justification. The instant that you trust Christ, you're clean before God. You're reconciled before God. You are justified before God. The instant you believe, you stand before God innocent, totally forgiven, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's called our justification. I want to suggest to you that something like an an appetizer, an absolutely delicious appetizer, it's so tasty, it's so satisfying that the burden of our sin and our guilt is washed away and instantly forgiven and so forth, and we are loved. The Bible says in that instant, you go from being an enemy of God and having God against you to becoming a daughter or a son of the living God, reconciled and adopted into his family, and so on and so forth. It's the appetizer into the Christian life, into our salvation. And it's delicious. I mean, it's just delicious. And then God begins to um, serve the entree. And uh, the entree, uh, I think, is um, called sanctification. One of my uh, favorite verses about sanctification is in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through may your whole body soul and spirit be sanctified be changed be be fed be nurtured be brought to life and so forth your whole you know body soul and spirit and so god begins to serve up this entree called sanctification it's the main meal it's all kinds of nutrients and proteins and fiber and strength and energy comes from it it builds you up and then comes dessert which is like the sweetest part of the meal called salvation. And the dessert is like out of this world. The Bible calls it glorification. It's the coming part of our salvation that has not yet arrived. It's uh, that which is coming. It's the dessert. It's when everything is going to be perfect. It's the grace that has not yet been revealed. And you can't have it until you finish your meal. You grew up with a mom like that? You cannot have dessert until you finish the peas on the, you know, on the nutrients and eat your meat and clean up, you know, and so on and so forth. And I think... You know, it's such a significant thing. In the Bible, it's very clear that some things are for now, and some things are for then. And if you don't read the Bible correctly, and you start insisting that the things for then be in your life now, you'll just get confused. You'll get discouraged. You'll get bummed out. You'll be like, wow, I thought you promised. Yeah, I'm promising, but it's for then. It's not for now. There are some things for now, and there's some things for then. And uh, a great part of our salvation is the dessert. And so, When you have that in mind, uh, here's another uh, verse that talks about that in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14. um, The Bible says this, um, for here we do not have an enduring city. What we have here is temporary. It's not enduring. It's not going to last forever. Uh, But we are looking forward for the city that is to come. And there's all kinds of verses in the Bible that say, you know, some things are for now and some things are for dessert. And uh, you can't have the dessert until you finish the meal, and so forth. So in First Peter, where we're studying, you'll notice that our text begins with the word, therefore, because we have this great salvation, because we've already tasted the appetizer, and because we're being served up this entree by God, therefore, certain things need to happen in our lives. Uh, there are certain things, certain changes that need to take place. Therefore, right, because we've tasted the appetizer, because we've been justified by faith, because the edge of our appetite has been taken off in a very satisfying way, and because now the entree of sanctification is before us, therefore, there are four changes that need to be taking place in our life. Four changes. And uh, uh, I think they come when we digest the meal that God is giving us. If we uh, are taking what God is serving up and digesting this great salvation, these changes begin to take root in our lives. And there are four of them. The first thing the Bible says is that the first thing that will change is your mind, the way you think. Notice what uh, Peter says here in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Don't just be going around collecting Bible verses, you know. Don't just be trying to satisfy your curiosity. That's the way. No, take your mind and get it ready for action. Because God has told us all these things for a purpose, for a reason. And uh, prepare your minds for action. If you have an old King James Version, uh, th- that phrase says, gird up your minds. And the idea was that, you know, in in Jesus' day, people wore these long flowing robes, right? And uh, whenever you wanted to do anything, they had a belt around the middle. You had to take the ends of these robes and you had to tuck them into the belt uh, in order to move, in order to do anything. And so it was like, gird up your minds. Take all the loose ends of your thoughts and tuck them into the truth. You know, um, when you get to, when you become a Christian and you turn to God, God, one of the things that is served up Uh, in this meal, in the entree, is truth. And truth matters. And um, in fact, Paul says in um, uh, Ephesians chapter six that the the truth becomes like this uh, belt around your middle. Uh, The truth becomes like this sash. And so uh, one of the things that God gives us is truth, and so to gird up our minds or to prepare our minds for action is to learn God's truth until it becomes like this belt around our waist that we can tuck all the loose thoughts that come to us all the time into the truth so that we can move, so that we can know what to do, uh, so that we can have the loose ends of our minds tucked into the truth. So many people, it seems to me, are frozen in their tracks, unable to make decisions, because they have so many loose end thoughts. And the world is constantly coming at us. I remember we had a, a missionary friend that was uh, in Africa. and. Uh, you know, this uh, every three months, I think, they got potato chips, came to the, where they were. And it was like a big treat in their family. And, and they couldn't wait for that You know, time, three months at a, down the road to get a bag of potato chips. So finally they come to the States on their home assignment and they go to the grocery store and the kids are like, let's get potato chips. And they get in the grocery store and the whole aisle is full of chips. And they just stood there and they couldn't make a decision. Which kind of chips should we buy? And they just couldn't make that decision. And uh, I read an article recently about how Americans worship the God of choice. And how we always, we, we, we stay away from commitment because we only want to keep our choices, our options open. It's very hard to plan anything and ask people to make a commitment. Because something better might come along. And uh, this article talked about the small g god of choice, and and it was was a guy who was standing in line in Starbucks, and the guy in front of him ordered a coffee, and it had 10 qualifiers on it. I want a coffee, but it's got to be made with, you know, low-fat milk, and it's got to be at this temperature, and I want this in it, and that in it, and da-da-da-da-da. And the guy felt embarrassed, because he was just going to get a coffee. Cream, no sugar. And he thought, well, I better jazz it up somehow to fit in with the culture. Choices. And so when we have so many choices, we're afraid to commit. And we, Peter is pa- painting a picture, I think, of taking all these loose end things and put them into the truth so that we can move, so that we can have action, so that we can make our lives from here until the day we die matter for the cause of eternity. So prepare your minds for action. Don't get sucked into all these little, you know, sidetracks. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 said that people are transformed by the renewing of their minds. By the way you think and when you meet god and god gives you the truth you can take all these loose ends that come to us from the world around us and tuck them into the truth so that we're prepared to move and uh, to say the right thing so roll up your sleeves pull your thoughts together sort out what the non-negotiables of god are from our own traditions and so forth in other words eat the meal that god is putting before us digest the truth You might remember uh, Psalm 1, the very first Psalm, you know, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of, of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight, his desire is the law of the Lord. Something changes in a Christian when they get past the appetizer and they begin to digest the meal of truth. They begin to delight in God's truth. It's so superior to all the thoughts that are in the world. And we begin to delight in it. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does prospers. Whose delight is in the law of God. Can't get enough of God's truth, of God's thoughts. And so, uh, this is significant because uh, the Bible says in Ephesians that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Action. There's a lot to be done in the world in which we live. There's a lot of loose end thinking out there that's not tucked into the truth in any which way. And God has put us in the midst of this to be light in the midst of the darkness and so forth, and and. um He has deeds prepared in advance for us to do. Prepare your minds for action. I think it's so significant because um, when we really believe, it affects your mind. It affects your thinking. You can't believe God and not have your mind change. You can't. Because what you believe always affects the way you think. Whatever you believe affects what you think. And remember, what you think affects how you feel about yourself, about other people, about God. How you think affects how you feel, and how you think and how you feel together affects what you do, action. But it starts with our beliefs. And uh, uh, when you come to God, you come to the truth, and when you believe God, he begins to serve up the truth, and the truth is actually better than we think. The very last thing Peter says and his to if you go to the very last thing that Peter says at the end of Second uh, Peter, uh, the very last verse, he says, Grow, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you were to sum up everything Peter says, he's like, grow. You know, allow your minds to be affected by your faith and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and grow in knowledge. Prepare your minds for action. Don't just try to live off the appetizer. Don't just say, oh, this appetizer is so great. Who needs the meal? God is seeking to serve up a meal. And it's what we need to have the strength and the energy to be uh, active in the cause that God has left us here on the earth for. So first thing, prepare your minds for action. Second change that needs to come about when we begin to digest this meal that God is serving up, uh, he says, therefore, because of all that's true that goes before it, prepare your minds for action. Second, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. If you have a King James Bible, it says Be sober be sober. Uh, Self-controlled. Do you ever ask yourself, who's controlling your life? Who's controlling my life? You ever ask yourself that question? If you say, um, if you say something unbecoming, let's say, you know, you say something and I hear you and I say, why are you talking like that? And you say, well, it's just this other person really gets to me, or it's just this circumstance that's going on in my life, you know. What you're really saying is, I don't have self-control. That's why I'm talking like this, because I don't really have self-control. And uh, why, you know, why do you cheat on your spouse? (laughs) Well, it's her, well, it's him. No, 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 it's you. You don't have self-control. That's why you're doing that. Have self-control, be sober, be self-disciplined, have self-control you know, why do you drink too much? Why do you do pornography? Why do you spend too much money? Don't blame it on somebody else. Any excuse you come up with is just an admission. It's because I don't have self-control. Think about it. Who's controlling your life? One of the fruits of the spirit, one of the promises of God, one of the parts of the meal that God serves up is the very spirit of God, right? He gives to us his spirit. And one of the products of the Holy Spirit being in a person's life, the ninth one, there's nine of them in Galatians, and the ninth one is self-control. Self-control. It's a gift from God. Self-control. And so Peter says, you know, be self-controlled. Self-control comes from God. It's where strength and energy and wisdom comes from. Be self-controlled. Be sober. Don't get carried away. To be sober is to be steady. It's to be calm. It's to be balanced. If you just turn the page to... Um, Uh, 1 Peter 4 and and verse 7, notice, uh, the end of all things is near, therefore, he says, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Clear-minded, right? And self-controlled. These are the same two things that are the first two in in our text this morning. Prepare your minds for action, be clear-minded, don't have a lot of loose ends all over the place, and uh, be self-controlled in order to pray, without being self-controlled and clear thinking, you can't even pray. And so these two things allow your mind to be changed, allow uh, your control, self-control to come from yourself, from the spirit of God living in you now. And then the third change that comes with this meal called salvation is that our hope goes from being a wish to being something concrete and firm, Um, something secure, uh, causing our confidence to rise. Notice, Uh, In verse 13, Peter says, Prepare your minds for action, be self controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your hope goes from something that maybe starts out as a wish, but turns into something very concrete and very solid. Hope, in the biblical sense, is not a wish, it's a confident expectation. And when you are confident of something that's going to happen in the future, it always changes your actions in the present. Wouldn't you say? When you are confident that something's going to happen in the future, you begin to orient your life around what you know is coming. Our son Brett and his fiance Kristen are hoping to get married in June. And because they have this confident expectation of getting married in a few months their living and their planning is all oriented around this confident expectation that's in their future. In fact, my son is so convinced that this is actually going to happen that he went out and bought himself a motorcycle because he's watched his whole life, his mother keep his father from ever having a motorcycle. So he's only got this little window of time before he gets married where he figures that might just happen to him. And so he's prepared. He's orienting his current living around this future confident expectation that's coming down the road. It's the truth. What can I say? Now, the Bible says anybody who has the hope, the confident expectation that Jesus is coming back, okay, orients their living around that hope. And Peter, you notice what Peter says here. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that's to be revealed when Jesus is, is revealed, on the grace that's coming to us when Jesus is revealed. Um, 1 John, let me just read uh, a couple of verses here um, uh, from chapter 3 of 1 John. How great, okay, is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, that we could go from being an enemy To being a child of the living God by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and that is what we are. That's the appetizer of this passage. That is what we are. As soon as we trust Christ, that is what we are, John says. And then he says, the reason the world doesn't get us is that it didn't get Jesus, crucified Jesus. And so, you know, the world doesn't get us any more than it got him. Then he says, dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. That's the dessert that's coming, okay? What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the dessert. Someday you're going to see the Lord exactly as he is, and you're going to want to be like him. Now we see through a glass darkly. That's the dessert that's coming. Ah, And then look, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Everybody that has this hope in their life of seeing Jesus face to face is in the process of getting ready for that day. Set your hope fully, Peter says, like reorient all your living around that great glorious day when dessert will be served and you will see the Lord face to face. Because hope in the biblical sense is a confident expectation. And when you believe it, you begin to reorient your living aimed at that day when Jesus Christ will be revealed to us and we will see him face to face. And so Peter says, you know, get ready for that. Um, Are we becoming increasingly confident about the Lord's return and, and does it radically affect our actions between now and the day we die or Jesus actually comes back? I personally think in this particular uh, phrase, Peter is talking about the rapture of the church. Um, The rapture of the church. You know, when we get to um, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, you're going to see, or 2 Peter chapter 3, the whole chapter is about the end of the world. The whole chapter is how the world is going to end. And when we get there, we'll study that, Lord willing. And and the reason why the world hasn't ended yet is all in that chapter. And so um, the whole... um, future of the world is laid out in the Bible. And if we happen to be alive when that day comes when Jesus returns, and I I believe there's gonna be one return of Jesus, gonna be on a single day, and on that day two things are gonna happen, as I understand the scriptures, and I know not everybody agrees with me. But first of all, I believe that the Bible says God's people, God's children, will be raptured. The church, the true church, will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air, right? That's, that's, it's called the rapture. It's, it's getting taken off the earth. And then the second thing that's going to happen on that same day is that the wrath of God and the judgment of God is going to begin to be unleashed. That's described in Revelation as to what it's going to be like, the judgments of God, you know, the, the bold judgments and so forth that are going to come up on the earth. But the reason that the church is taken out of here before, before the Lord, you know, begins that judgment is because Jesus already took that judgment for us. He already bore the wrath of God in our place. And and so um, there's a number of places I'm just going to, you know, this is just kind of a little sidetrack, but um, if you turn to Luke's gospel, when Jesus was here, one of the things that Jesus said, uh, I think uh, is very supportive of this particular view. And in um, Luke chapter 17, the Lord said, the son of man in his day is going to be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus is talking about, you know, his first coming and his second coming. And then he says this. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Just like it was in Noah's day, that's how it's going to be when Jesus returns. And then he says this. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Set your hope fully on this day, Peter says. And Jesus is saying it's going to be just like in the days of Noah. So if you take your Bible and you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 7, you can read about what it was like on the day that Noah entered the ark and was spared from the judgment that God rained down through the flood. In Noah chapter 7, verse 11, it says... In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day, on the second month, on the day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heaven were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, together with their wives, uh, entered the ark. On the same day, on the same day, that the Lord comes back. The church will be raptured. I think it shows up in the book of Revelation, and the judgment of God will begin to fall. And uh, Peter says, set your hope on that day. Don't be expecting justice to happen until that day. Don't be expecting to be delivered from all of Satan's schemes and garbage until that day. Set your hope on that day. When that day comes, you will be justified. When that day comes, you will shine. When that day comes, you will be vindicated. Until that day, you have hope on that day. Put your hope fully on the day that Jesus Christ comes back. And uh, again, Peter says, if you do that, it will reorient your living. That's our living hope. And notice what Peter says um, is going to come on that day. He says, you know, set your hope fully Uh, on on the grace that's to be given you on that day. There is yet more grace, more undeserved favor than we are even aware of that's going to come to us on that day. Set your hope fully on the grace, the undeserved favor that God's going to show us on that day. Set your hope fully on that day. And again, I tell you, that's the day that dessert is going to be served. That's the day when the dessert starts. Set your hope on that day. Look forward to that day. And if you do, expect that to reorient your living today. If you really believe that that's going to happen, it will change your actions today. It will change your priorities. It'll change your values. It'll change everything, you know, because you're having a confident expectation that someday you're going to meet the Lord face to face. But before that day, there's one more change that the Bible talks about in our passage here this morning. In verses 14 and 15, And uh, it's, again, part of this process of this meal that God is serving up called our sanctification, and it's in verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, when you lived not knowing God, when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so, you know, when you have a secure future, you can let go of your past. Isn't that true? When you know that something good is coming in your future, you're not holding on. When you don't think you have much of a future, you hold on to your past. It's all you got. And uh, you, you just try to hold on to your past. But when you have a future and you're confident and that hope is real, you know, um, then you begin to let go of your past in order to embrace what's coming and to get ready for all that's the change that's happening. And the Bible's description, you notice, of, of our life before trusting Christ is living in ignorance. Living in ignorance. So many people in our generation, the technological society, think that ignorance is being eliminated I don't think so. Uh, The truth comes from God, and without God's truth to put the context or the interpretation on what we're learning, um, you know what? We, We just stay in ignorance. It leads us to wrong thinking, and wrong thinking is ignorance. Wrong thinking is it. That's why Peter starts out like, you know, prepare your minds, gird up your minds because the opposite of that is to live in ignorance. Ignorance is marked by evil desires. Evidence of becoming a genuine Christian is that our desires change. We have a whole new set of desires. What are, what's really all of a sudden important? What's really first in our life? What do we really want out of this life? What, are we, what, what, what desires do we have between now and the time we die? And all of a sudden they become different on this side of embracing Christ and God gives us a whole new uh, set of desires. Our evil, selfish desires start to give way to right desires and loving desires uh, take over the selfish desires that we've had prior to that. Uh, But it's a process, right? It's a process. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes the nutrients that God serves up are tough to digest. Sometimes they don't even taste so good. Sometimes we just want to spit them out. And God says, no, these are good for you. You need this, you know? And uh, notice it says in verse uh, 14 that uh, we're called to be obedient. And so there's an intentionality. Uh, Most of us know what God says. We know what's right. But to do it becomes another thing. To take that step, to get baptized, to start tithing, to witness to other people, to take some steps, some action. That our minds are prepared to take some action that uh, contribute to the kingdom of God and hold hands with the Savior who loves us and gave his life for us and so forth needs to be intentional. Sanctification is that process of becoming who God says we are as a result of our justification. You are now a child of mine, God says. And sanctification is the process of growing to be that person. To be the person that God says we are. It's letting go of the way we used to be and grabbing hold of the way uh, God says uh, we are. We become this new creation in Christ. And I, this is exactly the opposite of the way so many people think. So many people, I, I've had, uh, again, a conversation this past week. Somebody said to me, you know, I was born a blank and I will die a blank. You ever say that? This is the way I was born. This is the way I was brought up. This is the way I'm going to die. I'm like, Meet God. Meet God and change. He has something better for you than this. He made you to be holy, to be like him. And, uh, you know, when we have that attitude, it's just like, my goodness, haven't you met God? He's, he's got a, a new creation in mind for you to be. A, a son or daughter of the living God. Meet the living God. You need to be uh, given this gift of God, new birth into a living hope. And then finally in verse 15... You know, uh, just as he who called you is holy, he's different. The word holy means set apart, unique, different, separate. And God's not just another one of us. We can't just, you know, come up in our minds and create God as if he's another. He's holy. He's different than we are. He's separate from us. Jesus is holy, 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 we sang this morning. It means to be set apart, and the idea is to be set apart for God's use and for God's pleasure. It's to be different. God's people are different from the people of the world around us. We have a quality about us that's to be different. We're to love people. We're to have joy. We have a higher measure of peace and less anxiety. And, and uh, we have this God who says, you know, cast all your cares on me. I care for you. And we're patient and we're kind. We're, we're set apart to be different. 2 uh, Peter 1, verse 4 uh, says this. Um, this is a mind-blowing verse to me. I've thought about this for years. Um, Through these things he has given us, God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through believing these promises, you may participate in the divine nature. It's a mind-blowing verse to me. When you think that, that when you become a Christian, right, you get this new father. And this father is putting his nature into us by his spirit. He's putting his spirit into us, which is to say, we are going to become participants of God's nature. We're going to be like him. We're going to be different, like he's different. We're going to be different from the world in which we live. And that's what Peter is saying, you know, be holy, be separate, be different. Don't worry about trying to conform to the world. And sometimes I think the church is saying, let's do everything we can to be like the world so that the world will accept us, and then we can share the gospel. No, you know what? We have an alternative to give to the world. We have something way better than anything the world has to offer. And we're called out to be different. We're we're to be like God. We're to be more loving, less anxious, right? We're, We're to be patient, kind, all of those fruits of the Spirit. Because that's how God is. And that's the nature of God that he's putting into us as our new father. We have a different father, and so we're partakers of a different nature. The very spirit of God gets into us, and and we're no longer imitators of the world. We're imitators of God, and we finally have some spiritual intelligence. And uh, Peter says uh, we're called by God to be holy, to be holy, to be different. We've been called out of the darkness into the light, out of ignorance into truth. And then Peter quotes from the Old Testament. He says God is holy. God is set apart. God's different. Don't think that you can just think God's another person like us. No, he's got to reveal himself to us before we can know him because he's different. He's holy. He's set apart. Uh, And then just last notice that Peter says, be holy in all you do. A a Christian isn't going to be like, you know, all right, I'll do the Sunday thing for God, go to church, but the rest of the week is mine. I'll do the tithing thing for God, give him his 10%, but the other 90%, I'm going to do what I want with. No. When you're holy, it means that you're taking your whole life, and in all that you do, your first consideration is God, and having the very nature of God put back into us so that we can be, God made us to be like himself, but we're not, and uh, be holy in all that you do. Um, So why don't we pick one of these four changes? and ask ourselves, which of these four changes do you think the Lord would have me, you know, take a step forward in? How can I uh, cooperate with this meal, this sanctification that God's given my body, my soul, my spirit, and and, uh, is it my mind? Do I study enough? Do I saturate my mind in the scriptures? Do I delight in the law of the Lord? Do I look forward and say, oh, I love it when I can sit down and spend some time in the Bible and have the Lord teach me? Is it uh, sobriety? Is it, you know, being self-controlled, self-disciplined? Is it like, wow, I know what the right thing, I know what I want to do between now and the end of my life, but, you know, somehow I just never get around to it. You know, I just, I'm always, you know, sidetracked on something. I just don't have self-discipline. Other people are making demands on my life and blah, 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 and I don't have self-discipline. Well, maybe it's there. Or maybe I'm not really hopeful to the point where I'm so confident that I'm going to meet the Lord someday that I'm reorienting my daily living around this expectation of confidence that I have in the future. Or maybe I've never really considered that God's nature has been planted, transplanted into my life and that God is looking for me to become like him, to reflect his nature, his spirit into the world around us. And that the more I get to understand him, if I cooperate, if I'm obedient, if I do what he says and so forth, I'll have this opportunity to reflect the very nature of God to the world in which we live, which desperately needs to understand the nature of God. There's a lot of crazy ideas about God out there. Pick one and ask the Lord to help you take a step in that direction. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I always like it in the scriptures when uh, our passage starts with the word, therefore. And uh, all these things are true. We've been around the communion table. We've had this appetizer of justification in our lives. But help us not to just be satisfied with the appetizer for the rest of our life, because you're trying to feed us. You're trying to nurture us. You're trying to uh, create a new life in us that would enable you to use us for your purposes in this world before we pass out of this world into your presence. And so help us to cooperate with you. Thank you for these four changes that Peter points out. They're a part of uh, the, the, the things that happen to us when we digest what you're serving up to us. Help us, Father, to embrace what you're giving us with all of our hearts so that you can transform us to be increasingly like you and, and like your nature. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.